0: Hello, and welcome to the Five by. We're a board game podcast, in case you hadn't heard. This episode, Ruth is talking about Ginkopolis. Sarah tells us about Burgle Brothers 2. Meeple Ladies got Pusheen Perfect Pick. Lydia Ray tells us about Taco Cat Goat Cheese Pizza. And I'm covering Lucky Numbers. As always, we're happy to have you here with us and hope you've been getting some great spring gaming in with friends and family.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lydia's Educational Game Corner, where I take a moment to showcase my game of the day and give you tips on how you can use it in your classroom or educational space in five minutes. Yes, five minutes. So let's get started. Today's game of the day is my absolute favorite. It's Taco Cat Goat Cheese Pizza by Dolphin Hat Games, designed by Dave Campbell. In this awesome family party game, each player places a card from their hand face up into the community pile while saying taco, cat, goat, cheese, pizza, and player sequence. If your word matches the card, you slap your hand on the card. There are some special cards such as gorilla, where you do special actions like bang on your chest, then slap the card. Narwhal, where you put your hands up like a horn, then slap the card or Groundhog, where you lightly bang on the table, then slap the card. Please keep in mind, make sure that you aren't the last person to slap the card, or you will have to take the entire stack. Even if you flinch before slapping the card, that whole entire stack will be yours. First person to get rid of their entire stack wins. Taco Cat Goat Cheese Pizza is a wonderful game to bring into your 2021 educational space. But before I get into some tips on how you, yes you listening, can do this, here are a few important things to keep in mind before bringing Taco Cat Goat Cheese Pizza into your learning space. First, timing. How long do you have to play and teach this game? Taco Cat Goat Cheese Pizza is an extremely easy game to teach. In about less than five minutes, you can visually show how a round goes. The rules are super easy, and play time takes about less than fifteen minutes. If a player has a question, you have time to answer or clarify with the rule book, which is just basically one tiny page, or visually with a card. Please note, there is never a bad question, so make sure to prep your gameplay with the expectation that if you have questions, please ask them. Second, the age and grade. This game is well-rounded and so appropriate for all grade levels. I suggest elementary on up. And lastly, modifications. Not everyone learns at the same level and rate as others. Please keep that in mind when introducing the game to players and don't be afraid to modify the game to fit the group you're playing with. I suggest definitely making a player aid or having a Google slide presentation in the background of what you can do during a turn. I had the taco cat goat cheese pizza box upright the entire time. So my students had a visual aid of what the sequence was to say during the game. All right, everyone. So now let's talk about how taco cat goat cheese pizza. And if you hear me saying this, this was actually the beat that my kids, my sixth grade kiddos came up with when we were playing the game to help them remember. We're gonna talk about how this can be used into the classroom or in your own educational space. Not only can board games be for fun, but they can also provide a great learning experience. Since I am a drama and public speaking teacher, I'm going to talk about that first. If I taught this game in my drama and public speaking classroom, I would have my kiddos practice body language with this game. And we would practice using gestures. So when they play the game, they would have to only be playing it with gestures where they would have to, for example, if they had the cat card, they would have to use cat gestures to mean cat, or they would have to create sounds to identify each word to practice verbal communication like "ba" for goat or meow for cat. For languages such as like Spanish, Latin, German, French, you could have your students say each card in a specific language you teach. So for Spanish, if you popped up with cat, you could say gato if you're teaching it, you can even create a version if it was with colors. There's so many opportunities that you can modify this game. It's just so cool. Well, everyone, there are so many things you could do, but so little time. But hopefully these tips will help you begin your journey of bringing the education into your gaming experience. Thank you for tuning into Lydia's Educational Game Corner. Till next time, happy learning and happy
0: gaming. Hi, I'm Mason Weaver. Let's talk about Lucky Numbers. I'm a longtime Michael Schott fan. He's not a new hot designer, and I'm not sure he's exactly a grand master like Knizier or Cromer. He's somewhere in the middle. A solid workhorse who's been cranking out quality games for over two decades. He won the Spiel des Jahres for Zularetto back in 2007, but he's not the kind of designer that people, or Americans at least, buzz and chatter about when a new game comes out. He's just a German guy hanging out in his house, knocking out very solid and enjoyable family games. I own a few of them, and I can highly recommend Colorado, uh, web of power, also reprinted as China and I don't know, something else maybe, and the brilliant but underplayed and probably out of print, at least in the US, real-time tile lane game Mondo. Today, I want to talk about a shot title I was totally unaware of until I played it on Board Game Arena called Lucky Numbers. Originally put out by Robinsberger in 2012 and currently in print from some French publisher I've never heard of called Tiki Editions Inc., Lucky Numbers is a very Shaktian game about doing the best you can given a rotten set of choices. It's a little bit like competitive Sudoku, but actually fun and doesn't require any math. You've each got a little 4x4 grid card in front of you. You start with a random set of four tiles laid out diagonally in ascending order from the upper left to the lower right. The goal of the game is to fill your card in ascending order with numbered tiles from left to right, top to bottom. The tiles are numbered 1 through 20, and every turn you can either draw a random tile from the bag or take one from the face-up tiles off the table. Tiles end up on the table, because you can swap something you've already placed with a tile you've drawn or something on the table. Like a lot of my favorite games, the strategy isn't really outlined in the very simple rules. The emergence, especially at 2, where I think this game really shines, is an ugly tug-of-war that's about what you're discarding to the table. You might get a great tile, want to swap it out for something you already have, but choose not to do it to not give advantage to the other player who needs the tile you'd be discarding. So you often make these sort of suboptimal choices in order to prevent your opponent from getting a number that they really, really need. So you're often forced into making choices you don't want to, sometimes even putting you into the situation that Germans call Zugzwang, or forced to make a suboptimal move that puts you in a worse position than you were to begin with if you hadn't moved. I've built this up as something that sounds maybe more strategic than it is. It's called Lucky Numbers, so to be very, very clear, it is extremely luck-based. There's no grand strategy design, there's no serious gameplay, this is not for gronknards or whatever. This is all about input randomness and just what you choose to do with it. There are lots of tactical choices to be made, and since you know there's a full set of 1-20 through tiles for each player, if you've already seen all the fives come out, you know there's not going to be another one. But more often than not, in a two-player game, unless you've botched it really badly, it kind of just comes down to who draws Luckier. Now, if that's something that you find frustrating, Lucky Numbers probably isn't for you. It's a very light little title, but that's part of what I like about it. For the last couple of months, Megan and I have been playing this against each other, sitting in the same room on our respective laptops while we, say, watch a movie we've seen before, because it's just light and fun and something to relax with. As a kid, my granddad would come home around 5, change out of his dirty work clothes, and lay on the living room floor napping and watching the Weather Channel. This is early Weather Channel, too, before there were commercials. It was just smooth jazz and a scrolling display of upcoming temperatures. Luck Plus is more exciting than that, obviously, but it's not a wholly dissimilar experience. Especially playing online, this is a great game to unwind with. Because it's so light and so easy to teach, I also think it'd be a great choice for your non-gamer friends to play and just chat during. So, weirdly, even though there is technically an English-language version of Lucky Numbers in print from this French pub, None of the big game retailers seem to carry it here. You can buy it off eBay or off Amazon, presumably from some kind of importer, for, I don't know, around $25. But you can also just play it on Board Game Arena, which I would actually recommend. So why? Well, so much of what is actually great about this title is being able to see what your opponents are doing. Playing online puts both of your cards side by side and allows you to watch the other player very closely. Now, you certainly could do this sitting across the table from someone, but for a game that is fundamentally this short and light and casual... Maybe that's more work than it warrants. If you do want a physical version and you don't feel like shelling out to import something, you can certainly make your own. You need a 4x4 grid and some tiles to draw out of a bag. You could easily take a crappy game you were going to donate anyway. Hey, we all have them, you know you've gotten plenty of free ones at conventions. And just use the back of the chits in that game. You could sort of do it with a pencil and paper and some note cards, but it might be a little fiddly. But there's no reason that you couldn't use a thrifted Scrabble set and right on the backs of the tiles with different colored paint pens, cut the board down into 16 space sections. There are 100 tiles in a Scrabble box, so you can even make a full 5-player set. Very much a your mileage may vary, but let me know if you do this. So, who should play Lucky Numbers? People who want a light time passer. People who want to teach their friends something clear and casual for an online game night. People who like other shot games. And people who want a mean-but-luck-based 2-player challenge. I give lucky numbers 16 out of 16 spaces that seem easy to cover to begin with, but are actually incredibly frustrating to complete when you just keep drawing tiles that you can't use. I'm Mason Weaver. You can find me on Twitter and occasionally Instagram at Discount Compost, and on Board Game Geek and Board Game Arena as Breakfast Core. Keep wearing a mask, keep washing your hands, and if you're not vaccinated yet, get vaccinated as soon as you're able.
2: By listeners, it's Ruth here. Now, many people who get into hobby board gaming eventually end up with a Grail game, a game that's almost impossible to find but that they really, really want. Maybe because they played it once or simply because of its reputation. For a while, my Grail game was Ginkopolis, right up until the point a few years ago when a friend found me a brand new copy in a tiny game store. Designed by Xavier George and illustrated by Gail Lenurian, this 2012 title was a Grail game for a lot of people, which is why a lot of of people have been made extremely happy by the fact that a 2021 reprint just hit the market. Set in the year 2212, the city of Ginkopolis is being built upwards to address issues of space and to avoid consuming more of the Earth's resources than we've already exhausted. Inspired by the strength and age of the Ginkgo tree, one to five players are tasked with developing a team of bio-city planners, bio-engineers, and biotechnicians to help them most efficiently develop a city working with nature. Or perhaps more accurately, Ginkgo Copolis is a fairly abstract city building area majority game combining card drafting and tile placement while using ginkgo moves to represent points. The city will start out as a grid of nine building tiles, three red, three blue, and three yellow, which are surrounded by circular lettered tokens. Players expand the city by building out onto the lettered tokens and building up on top of existing tiles. The game's rounds are simple enough. Players start by examining a hand of four cards and choose one to play, with cards coming in two types, urbanization and Building. Once a player has chosen their card, they'll place it face down in front of their screen, along with a tile if they're using it to expand the city. Alternatively, they may place the card by itself, which means they're going to exploit the card for resources. Once everyone has chosen, actions will resolve in turn order. Playing an urbanization card lets the player add their tile onto the appropriate lettered space, moving that token further out. They'll put a resource on it to show ownership, and add a construction pawn to designate it as a new building. They'll then gain items from adjacent buildings, gain any urbanization bonuses they have in their tableau, and discard the card. Building cards work similarly, but place tiles on top of the existing tile shown on the card. The player may have to pay extra costs if the color is different or if its number is lower than that of the tile being covered. Any resources on that tile will return to their owner along with potential points, and then the active player gets to place resources of their color on the new building along with a construction pawn. They'll collect any building bonuses from their tableau and add the card they played to their tableau. Provide more bonuses when taking actions or for end game scoring. The final action type, exploiting, is the simplest. The player simply discards their card after taking the appropriate items, tiles, resources, or points depending on the type of card. As with other actions, the player can also gain exploitation bonuses if they have them in their tableau. Once all actions are resolved, players will then pass the rest of their hand to the left before drawing another card from the deck to start the next round. Now, if the deck happens to be empty at any point, players will stop and look to see which tiles have construction pawns on them. They'll take the corresponding cards from the supply and shuffle them with the discords to form a new deck that matches the tiles found within the current city. Another pause occurs when the last tile is taken from the supply, and at this point players can choose secretly whether to return tiles for points. Once the newly replenished tile supply is exhausted for a second time, or someone places all of their resources, the game ends, points will be scored for endgame cards and for majorities in each city district, and a winner declared. After my first play of Ginkopolis, I desperately wanted a copy to play over and over, despite the fact that I don't tend to enjoy area-majority games. But the drafting element makes for interesting choices of what to pass on, and there's a need to balance building focus turns with resource collection. Added the elegant way in which the game uses the reshuffles occurring with a small card deck to keep said deck current with the board state, well, it all drew me in, and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And while the theme isn't exactly critical to the game, the eco-friendly city-building is at least a refreshing shift, and the emphasis on working with limited resources does come through. When it comes to the reprint, I haven't seen a copy in person, but from what I understand the only changes are the box art and the replacement of cylindrical construction pawns with shaped crane meeples. So I can assume that like my copy, the components are still great quality, with pleasingly thick tiles and tokens. Player screens have been beautifully illustrated with more of Gale Lanurian's work, and feature a handy aid on the back illustrating the three types of action. These reminders are language independent, and can be daunting at first, but the 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 iconography is such that once oriented, it's all very clear as it lays out the steps. Which is good, because the ever-changing board state means you're going to need to focus more on responding to it and to your fresh hand of cards, and less on remembering exactly how an action works. For me, Gink is one of the few grail games that didn't actually disappoint when experienced. It's relatively quick playing, letting it actually get to the table, while having enough of a mid-weight gameplay experience to let me exercise my brain a little bit in that 45 minute playtime. Now that Ginkobliss is finding itself in more collections, I highly encourage you to give it a go, even if, like me, you're not a fan of Area Majority, as it just might surprise you. Feel free to let me know what you think, or what grail game you want to see return to store shelves. You can find me on Twitter, at roof. that's an R, four O's, and an F. Thanks for listening.
3: You might guess from the name that Burgle Brothers 2 The Casino Capers is the sequel to Tim Fower's excellent 2015 co-op game Burgle Brothers. You might also guess from the name that Burgle Brothers 2 sticks pretty close to its namesake in theme, mechanisms, and feel. And that is A-OK with me. Like the original Burgle Brothers, Burgle Brothers 2 evokes the glamour and style of classic caper movies like To Catch a Thief for the Italian Job. And like a caper movie sequel... Burgle Brothers 2 gets the old gang back together to do basically the same thing with a few variations. Designed by Tim Fowers and Jeff Krause and published by Fowers Games in 2021, Burgle Brothers 2 is similar enough to the original Burgle Brothers that I won't spend a lot of time talking about specific mechanisms. Just like in Burgle Brothers, you play a group of crooks whose goal is to sneak into a multi-story building, avoid detection, crack a safe, then escape. If you want to learn more about gameplay specifics, the original Burkle Brothers was reviewed way back in episode 31 of The Five-By by... Oh yeah, that was me. While we're talking about classic movies, it should be no surprise that a game subtitled The Casino Capers is squarely placed in the realm of Vegas heist movies, like the original Ocean's Eleven, or the remake Ocean's Eleven. There's a strong Ocean's Eleven vibe here, down to a box illustration of the characters standing in front of the Bellagio fountains. There's a lot to love in Burgle Brothers 2, but I do have a couple of caveats. For one, the box. I love the small box size of previous Fowers games like Paperback and Burgle Brothers, and I wish this was that size as well. This box opens up into a stand for the second level, which is a clever idea, but it could be better executed. It hasn't ever fallen down or anything. I think it's sturdier than it feels, but it feels wobbly and unstable. And the gatefold makes the box tricky to close neatly. My other main criticism is something I mentioned in my review of original Burgle Brothers. I appreciate that Ryan Goldsberry's character art tries to show diversity, but I can't help but notice that the male characters come in all shapes and sizes, while the female characters do not. There are three women in the game. Hot lady in an evening gown, hot cocktail waitress, and hot old lady? Who's stooping a bit so you won't notice her perfect body? Like how a bad movie will put glasses on a beautiful woman and pretend that makes her ugly. When I reviewed Burgle Brothers, I mentioned this issue and said I hoped Goldsberry would do better next time. Now, three years later, I don't have that hope anymore. It is what it is. Fowler's Goldsberry games are going to have kind of sexist art. You just need to know that going in. I don't regret getting the game. There's nothing really offensive here. It's just disappointing. It lacks imagination. Designing a thematic game means building a little world. And if, in that little world, half the human race only exists as eye candy for the other half, that's kind of sad. Okay, enough negativity. Let's get to what's good about Burgle Brothers 2. The game feels a whole lot like the original, but there are changes that make gameplay snappier. They've added a chip component, which I like very much. Chips are placed face down on top of half the tiles, and you have to deal with them when you peek at or move into a room. Some of the chips are good, some are bad, some are good or bad, depending on what you need in that moment. I love that ambiguity, where, say, revealing the drunk chip, which causes you to slide helplessly into the next room over, might be disastrous or might be a lifesaver. Character abilities work a little differently in Burgle Brothers 2. Each character has three abilities, but they're on cards that you need to spend an action to unlock, and each can only be used once or twice. I think this works well. It makes the characters more versatile, and you really have to think about when to use each ability and when to save it. Even needing to unlock the abilities lets you do something productive with a turn that might otherwise be wasted if you're, say, hiding in a corner to avoid the bouncer. It feels tidy. Possibly the biggest change in Burgle Brothers 2 is that it's a campaign of sorts. It isn't a full-on legacy game, but you do get a new finale card with a different endgame condition in every game. I haven't played all the way through the campaign yet, but the finales I have seen were all distinct, reasonably challenging, and fun. Burgle Brothers 2 reduces the map from three levels down to two, which makes games not only quicker and less of a table hog, but also somewhat easier in my opinion. However, each game you win during the campaign, the next one gets a little harder, and vice versa. So if you're an expert Burgle Brotherer and find Burgle Brothers 2 too easy at first, Give it time. Either a bad layout or the reduced deck or both will catch up with you at some point. I've only played Burgle Brothers 2 with 2 players, but I found that original Burgle Brothers got more difficult the more players you had, and I expect Burgle Brothers 2 is the same. The map is not large, and it's much harder to avoid detection if there are 3 or 4 players causing the bouncer to move around that much more often. And that's Burgle Brothers 2, a great game for anyone who loves co op and heist movies, or anyone who loves original Burgle Brothers and wants a quicker, snappier version. My name is Sarah. Look me up on Twitter at Sarah Ovenall, especially if you want to chat about 60s caper movies. Then I really want
4: to hear from you. The American Tabletop Awards recently announced their top games for 2020 in four categories early gamers, casual games, strategy games, and complex games. Soon after, a discussion launched off on Twitter regarding the naming convention and how the word early is a much better alternative for what many would call filler or gateway games. The group members said they selected the term because they wanted to be respectful without being reductive. And as we know, as gamers dive deeper into the hobby, the term gateway is thrown around towards such games as Ticket to Ride, Catan, etc., to signify which game got them into the hobby. But we forget that these aforementioned games can be difficult for someone who has had no previous gaming experience whatsoever, and that high barrier to entry can be a turnoff from diving into our wonderful world. So what makes a good game for early gamers? Those completely new to modern board games? The consensus seems to be a game that's fun and can be taught very quickly and easily. Pusheen Perfect Fit fits that criteria, along with its delightful artwork that makes it easy to draw new gamers in. The new game from Ravensburger, designed by Steve Warner, was published in 2021 and plays two to five players and takes about 30 minutes. It comes with a nice, glossy, double-sided board, two decks of cards, and a Pushine figurine made of sturdy rubber material that's used as a first-player marker. For those unacquainted, Pusheen is a cartoon cat, a rotund adorable gray feline with little feet. That's an internet sensation. Her cuteness is directly translated into this board game, which includes her house, friends, and yummy treats. A perfect game for new gamers and for experienced gamers who want something completely chill with the potential for a little playful meanness. To set up the game, pick one of the board's sides, either the setting for inside Pusheen's house or outside of the park, and place 12 random essentials cards face-up on each space marked with a dotted line. Then randomly place four snapshot cards face-up Next to the game board, give the Pusheen figurine to the player who most recently fed a cat, as they'll go first. This, sadly, will never be me as I'm deathly allergic to cats and will only play with cats and board games. The game is played over a series of rounds in which the active player places the Pusheen figurine on a pause space on the board. These paw spaces are situated in between four essentials cards, and the active player selects one of the cards to put in their hand. They then check to see if they satisfy any of the requirements for one of the face-up snapshot cards, and if they do, discard the essentials cards for it, take the snapshot card, and place it in front of them. Each snapshot card has victory points on it as indicated by the star symbols. Then the rest of the players in clockwise order do the same exact thing. Choose one of the remaining cards surrounding Pusheen, or draw a random one from the essentials deck to put into their hand, and then score any of the snapshot cards remaining. Gameplay continues until one player has 10 or more stars. If no one has 10 or more stars yet, then the Pusheen figurine passes to the player on the left, and a new round begins. Easy peasy, right? Describing how to play the game took less than a minute to explain. It's perfect for early gamers. See what I did there? So what's on the essentials cards? There are three types. Friends, items, and actions. Friends and Items cards provide the items necessary to fulfill Snapshot cards. They include charming things like other fluffy cats, rainbows and diamonds, and the like. Action cards require the player to do them immediately as soon as they pick up the card. Some actions include removing Essentials cards from the board or choosing any player to give you a card of their choice actions to mix up the game for more experienced gamers the game's drafting mechanism can be game if you see that an opponent needs a specific essentials cards to fill a high value snapshot card you can place pushin away from any of those cards it can be a little mean especially at high player counts because then it'll be four turns until you get to place pushin where you want her but again the game is light enough that it's just a little playful meanness But in the grand scheme of gaming, this meanness is just a small possibility as most new gamers will probably not be playing like this. The game's sturdy, high-gloss components mean this game can be played just about anywhere. And the game is very portable, the box size is a small square like those of two-player games you've seen from Patchwork or Targi. Pusheen Perfect Pick is 100% a light game. Don't be fooled into thinking it's anything other than that but for what type of game it is, it's just delightful and something that is perfect for early gamers and those who love adorableness. And that's Pusheen, perfect pick. This is Meeple Lady for the 5 Pie. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as Meeple Lady or on my website, BoardGameMeepleLady.com. Thanks for listening. Bye! You've been listening to The 5by. We're a proud member of the Inside Voices Network. Follow us on Twitter at 5 Games. Friend us on Facebook at facebookcom 5 Games. Join our BGG guild number 2810. Find this on your podcast app of choice. Please consider supporting our work on Patreon at patreoncom 5 Games. Thanks for listening.